boys, it's Labor Day. Labor Day, baby. Uh, I had no work today. I had a pretty fun day off. Grace and I went to downtown Pittsburgh where they were having Rib Fest. So literally it was like probably nine or ten award-winning rib joints that were set up outside of Acrisure's Stadium. And we just got little rib samplers from like three places and cornbread and freaking mac and cheese. Bro, it was so, so good. Primetime dinner on Labor Day. Uh, any Labor Day plans for you guys? What'd you do today? So I actually, it's funny that you say that because yesterday I had some fantastic ribs prepared by Kimberly's great aunt. We were out uh, on their island at the cottage. So shout out Aunt Teresa. That was absolutely delicious. She made some delicious ribs. So I'm glad you said that. Uh, But today was a little bit more chill, a little bit more low key. Uh, We just went over for a cookout at her grandparents' house this evening. It was great. It was absolutely fantastic. I worked on Saturday, but it was a super slow day. Got to watch a lot of college football, so no complaints for me. Most of my stuff was uh, spent yesterday. Uh, My boss has a boat, uh, so went out on the boat a little bit, uh, tubed. And I I don't know if I'm just old, but like my shoulders – and upper body are completely toast. And like I wasn't even tubing for that long. It was like maybe 15 minutes. Confirmed old. I guess so. Yeah, Confirmed it's, old. It's going to start happening to you, buddy. How old are you now? Uh, 26. Yep, that's, that's precisely the age that your body starts breaking down. Grace, Grace, it actually happened to her a little bit earlier. She turned 25 and like migraines back pain like everything happened to her at 25 but the 25 26 mid 20s turn isn't that just because you got her pregnant <laughs> that could be like that could have something to do with it that could have something to do with it that mid 20s turn though is no joke my guy listen no I, I still got the speed that i had back in the playing days i still got that that's not going away um but everything else yeah, there's days where I'm like, oh, I could run a marathon. And days like today where it's like, I got hit by a truck. What what happened? So I don't get it. The human body is fascinating. From here, from here on out, I'm just going to warn you, you're going to start to get more and more days where you feel like you were hit by don't a tell truck me that. than when you don't, feel like you could run a marathon. Don't tell me that. You're not even, you're Con- not even that much confirmed, older than me. Confirm, confirmed by the oldest person here. Listen, I'm just built different. All right. Okay? That's it. Well, let's get into the good stuff. All right? Because if you love Big Ten football, then you came to the right place. Welcome to Big Banter, everybody. If you are new and listening to for the first time, odds are you saw week one and you were like, I just need more Big Ten college football coverage in my life. And you found us. We are here. This is it. You found it. We're going to have fun. We're going to talk college football. And if you're listening to the pod, please follow, subscribe, wherever you're listening. And make sure you're following us on Instagram and threads at B1G Banter. Then follow us on Twitter at B1G Banter Pod. And I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with the listeners because we put it out there on Instagram. Like, hey, 
would you rather us be on Twitter or would you rather, or X, or would you rather us be on threads? And you all said Twitter and my thumbs were on fire this weekend, putting out tweets left and right. Zero noise, zero noise. I need you all to be there and support me because I'm, I'm there for you. I'm there for you. So get on Twitter, get on X, follow us. And, uh, and we love to hear from you guys. Okay. We put out some pretty bomb memes too. So if nothing else, follow us for the memes, Ethan, say something nice to the new listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to big banter. We appreciate you being here. We're about to get into the entire slate of week one college football. So just sit back and relax. We got a lot of really nice takes coming your way. I've got a couple of things that these boys don't know about that I want to talk about. So very excited to get into it. The college football season is in full swing, people. If you can't hear the excitement in my voice, then I don't know what to tell you, but it is there and I am ready. Let's go. Now, speaking of surprises, I'm about to go on our first rant of the season. Because while I love Big Ten football, and I do, with every fiber of my being, I love Big Ten football. But boys, I was watching this weekend, and two things brought about this revelation. Uh, One was, I picked a couple of these teams to cover some larger spreads, and did not work, so I was upset that my picks were not cashing in. And two... I'm sitting back watching these middle-of-the-road SEC schools just blow out these teams like it was nothing. And I'm thinking to myself, why does the Big Ten just mess around with inferior teams year in and year out? Early on in the season, you've got Big Ten teams that just come out and are underwhelming. And recruits see that. Like these Big Ten, these schools – Well, oftentimes bring in recruits for, they'll bring them in for big games, obviously, the rivalry games, big time opponents coming and stuff. But some of these visits are early in the season because you want them to see you blow out somebody and you mess around with a Fresno State and lose. You mess around with a Toledo and you need a walk-off field goal. So I just want to read off something because this this really ticked me off about Big Ten football this weekend. Here are some margins of victory. The largest margin of victory this weekend in the Big Ten was Maryland over Towson. They beat them by 32. Here is every single margin of victory that was larger than that in the SEC. Vanderbilt, who doesn't even have a functioning stadium, won by 34. Tennessee won by 36. Georgia won by 41. Mississippi State by 41. Texas A&M, who was a laughingstock last year, by 42. Arkansas by 43. Auburn, who went through one of the most tumultuous off-seasons of all time, won by 45. Bama won by 49. And Ole Miss won by 66. See, when you wonder why all these recruits are going to SEC schools and not Big Ten schools, because the SEC schools don't mess around. They don't mess around with inferior, middle-of-the-road opponents that they have more talent than. They squash them. They leave no doubt. On top of the fact that the top end of the SEC is winning national championships and the top end of the Big Ten is not, I just reached a boiling point this weekend, and I'm ready for the Big Ten to level up and take care of these teams that they should take care of. This is this is good, and and 
I, I appreciate the enthusiasm, but this is this is a week one overreaction to the nth degree. This is just there. There is so much to the caliber of opponent that you play, and the caliber of opponent that the Big Ten played in week one. Well, listen. All, all of the games where it was like you knew that the team was going to win, they all won. I told you the one upset that was going to happen, and we'll get to that a little later with Purdue. But every every team that you thought was going to win did win, and it was right near the spread. Some of those spreads for the SEC games were outlandish if you looked at them before the game. So the caliber of opponent that was played, for instance, Michigan, right? They were, I believe it was a 35 and a half point favorite against East Carolina. East Carolina has a functioning program. Those SEC schools were playing division two level opponents, if not worse. Like they were outrageously bad. Some of those teams, somebody wrote an article from it. I wish I, I, I won't take it any further than that because I can't plug who it was because I don't remember where I read it. But somebody wrote an article about how historically bad the SEC's opponent were for week one. Like, it is absolutely outlandish. So I I get the enthusiasm and I, I appreciate it, but I really do think it's a major overreaction and it is solely due to the fact that it's the caliber of opponent that was played. Okay. You've got Michigan State playing uh, Central Michigan from the MAC. A MAC school would trounce one of those schools that the SEC was playing. Okay, say whatever you want about the MAC. They actually play functioning football. East Carolina already already mentioned it about Michigan functioning football. And then there were three interconference games that were played week one. How many games were played interconference for the SEC in week one? That's a big fat goose egg. None of them played each other. So I, I understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, it's just, it's a gross overreaction. And I don't really think there's any credence to it. I just don't feel like it's a this year only thing though. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I went and looked up every Big Ten team's past non-conference records and opponents and all that stuff. But I do feel like this is a year in and year out thing that has more to do with the style of play than the opponents. Like teams in the SEC play fast. And when you play fast, you get more offensive possessions and offensive snaps. And it increases your margin for error on any given day when you can get the ball more often. Whereas like, you know, look at a Minnesota versus Nebraska. You know, Nebraska starting from zero. Minnesota shouldn't have struggled as much as they did in that game. And part of that could have been due to the, the scheme Nebraska was running. But look at an Illinois and Toledo. Illinois, coming off the year that they did, should not need a walk-off field goal against the Toledo team to win the game when you're favored by nine and a half, almost 10 points. It just shouldn't. But it's because of the style of football that we play with the athletes that we play with that it's slow, it decreases the number of possessions. And because of that, if you screw up on any of the, one of those possessions, your margin for error is so thin that it puts you in close games that you should never be in in the first place. I, I'm 
I'm going to, I guess I like would take a combination of the, both of those. Georgia played a team from, I don't, I don't even know what conference UT Martin is in. They're, it's the big South. Okay. We had, we had like the Missouri Valley going to like, you know, the SEC and playing there, like the Mountain West, the All-American, which by the way, had a playoff team not too long ago um, in the college football playoff. And the Mac are completely different levels of football. And then also to your point, the style of play as well. I would think that Mac football and Big Ten football, like the style of play is the same. And then because of the talent, that's when uh, the Big Ten teams pull away in these early season games. But I, I mean, I don't even, I couldn't name you half of the school's conferences that the SEC schools are playing. And then their talent and their speed, that's just going to completely overlook or completely overmatch and out, overpower every one of these teams that are played. So, uh, like, I, uh, the, qu- the quality of opponents aren't great in week one, but I would say, that the Big Ten is playing better schools pretty consistently than the SEC is in those first few weeks. So, so other, you, other than your bad take, Alex, do you have anything else you want to add to the conversation? <laughs> I just want to see a school cover a big spread for once. I want to see a school cover a big spread, which a school that did cover their spread. Okay, let's get into these games now because there were some good ones, and there's some there's some major storylines that we need to talk about with some of these big programs. But let's start out with a school that came out looking really good and answering a lot of questions. Penn State comes out and beats West Virginia 38-15 to in what was an all-time bad beat for Corey. I'm real sorry. That last snap backup quarterback touchdown was not good for you. I can pick. just I, – I need to watch bad beats tonight because I can just hear Scott Van Pelt just like screaming at the team. Just run the cover play! What? Just, just take a knee, and then, and then, nope. We're we're gonna shove it down my throat. Thank you. All right, and, and real quick, guys, we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different this week. Uh, as far as our reactions, I want all of you to give me what your most surprise, or, or I'm sorry, your your best performance of the week alongside with these games. For me, it's it's this right here. It's Penn State. And if, if either one of you feel the same, feel free to jump on that bandwagon. But Penn State played the most complete football game. They were playing a very, very com- competent opponent. Again, SEC didn't do a ton of that, Alex. They LSU played FSU and lost. So there's that. They got their butts kicked. But, I, I mean, Penn State just looked unbelievable, especially in the second half. It was like, their defense played great. Their offense was just the run game. Their passing, everything. Like, all of the questions that you wanted answered in week one as a Penn State fan. Like, are we going to be a legit contender in the East with these, you know, these other two top two schools in Michigan and Ohio State? And they answered that question, and it was yes. And for me, solidified even more clarity for me picking them number two in the East behind Michigan, and they are going to fight for that number one spot. That team looks incredible. What an awesome performance by Penn State. Yeah, they were by far my most impressive performance, too. So, Corey, are you 
Do you have a different best performer before we hop into the games? I mean, I would say not. I, I think a lot of the conversation around Penn State is how how game ready Drew Aller would be, um, and kid was kid was cool, calm, and collected the whole game, and then. You know, Penn State's talent just just shown at the end there. I mean, they were running the ball and getting what six, seven yards of carry in the second half. Like that, West Virginia couldn't do anything to stop them. Um, so, when you have a when you have a game like that, week one, that's going to raise some eyebrows. So I would agree. Yeah. So Penn State wins thirty eight fifteen. Drew Aller is going to be absolutely fine. He went twenty one for twenty nine with three hundred twenty five yards, three touchdowns, and the biggest one, zero interceptions. Didn't make any dumb throws. He was safe with the football. Made a super athletic throw for his first touchdown, which was just a dart as he was running up in the pocket. And then, like you said, running the ball in the second half, they were super efficient. For the for the game, Singleton and Allen both averaged over five yards a carry. So it was perfect complimentary football on their part. There's really nothing they can't do. I feel like the only questions you might come out of that game with are who's going to step up at receiver because there were a couple of drops here and there. You want someone to really emerge as a reliable a reliable one or at least almost like Michigan has where everyone's a solid just A-minus receiver. Uh, they had a couple of missed field goals, but I think they're going to switch up the kicker. They did that at the end of the game. But those are very small questions to answer for a Penn State team. And I agree with you, Ethan. Nothing I saw this weekend, I should say everything I saw this weekend, further convinced me that I believe Penn State is the second best team in this conference. And real quick, it's just so, it's one of those things, college football is very week to week. Do not get me wrong. It is a week to week sport. And can anything still happen? Yes. Are we going to be eating crow about some of our takes that we're going to have here in the early season? Yes. But when you looked at how they performed, right, the talent level and how athletic they looked, Drew Allard was a huge question mark going into this season. And the reason why I picked them number two over Ohio State is because I had more confidence in Drew Allard than I did with Ohio State's quarterback position. And that was even more confirmed, which we'll get into later. But I just think that Penn State has everything you need to be a top contender in football. Really solid quarterback play. Great running game. Their offensive line looked fantastic. And their defensive line, their defense is going to threaten to be the best defense in the country. I know they gave up some points to West Virginia, but that defense is going to be a problem. That D-line is outrageous. 15 points to West Virginia is honestly it's nothing to worry about, right? Like it's 15 points. If you can if you can guarantee that you're going to average anywhere from 14 to 17 points per game on defense with Drew Aller at quarterback in that running game, you have to feel good. So I think Penn State fans, they might be feeling cautiously optimistic because of scars from years past. I think they have a reason to be really really excited about the football team they have this year. So they get out of the gates with a win. And I'm going to go a little bit out of order here because we've already brought up this team. Ohio State beats Indiana in a very unimpressive 23-3 victory. Kyle McCord looks 
he looked up and down. He threw a bad interception where he was throwing across his body, rolling to his right that got picked off against Indiana. He, his his uh, closing stat line was 20 of 33, 239, zero touchdowns, one interception. Marvin Harrison only had two catches, which is mind-boggling how you do not figure out a way to get that guy the ball because I guarantee you there was not a matchup problem against Indiana. So I don't know what the issue was in not getting him the ball. Ohio State went two for 12 on third down, and they didn't run the ball well either. Henderson and Williams both averaged under four yards a carry on the game. It was not good for Ohio State. And you felt like the question marks you had at the preseason, which were quarterback and offensive line, the questions only cemented themselves and maybe got worse after this game. With the running game not being where it needed to be, and then McCord looking shaky when he's already had a couple years, a couple off seasons with this team. And, and even Day said that in the last week or so, he ended up giving McCord the nod because of his consistency in practice and in camp. And then he looks like that in the game. It was not great. Corey, you watched this one. What did you see? Oh, man, there, there could have been a lot. Uh, we'll start with Indiana, which was playing football back in like 1920. They didn't really know what the forward pass was uh, until the second half. Um, so they had their own quarterback issues along with you know literally everything about their football team um but i mccord looked very uncomfortable for the majority of the game so it's not even just like the the sheer performance there's a lot of intangibles that like you can pull from some of these games uh and indiana was able to stack the box and stop the run because they did not respect mccord to burn them deep um and they showed that a little bit too with bottling up uh harrison and later in the game, you saw McCord go to your security blanket in Stover, which is why he was able to, you know, uh, rack up a, a little bit of those yardage or a little bit of that yardage. But this was the first time in a long time, and I'm reiterating this again, that an Ohio State quarterback did not look comfortable back there. And that was against Indiana. So I can only imagine if you don't figure that out very soon, that's going to be a very major, major problem. I, they ended up winning the game, what, by 17 points or something like that? Um, by, t- by, 20. by 20. And they had, a, the, I, they had a shot of Harrison and Abuka on the sideline. That's the most demoralizing 20-point victory I've ever seen from like players on, the, like, on a winning team. They like, looked like they weren't having any sort of fun whatsoever. Real quick, I just want to hop on that because that point specifically, one of my main takeaways from this game was the fact that Marvin Harrison Jr. looked disinterested in running routes, which to me says in practices, he does not have faith in these quarterbacks. There was a bunch of times he was running a route, and I literally said out loud, I was like, Marvin Harrison looked disinterested in trying to run that route. Now, Kyle McCord underthrew him on three different passes that I saw. So uh, that that's concerning when you have that type of relationship between star-studded top five pick wide receiver and your quarterback. And they were high school teammates. Kyle McCord was his high school quarterback. So you would think there would be some built-in chemistry there between the two of them. 
it did not look like that on Saturday. I personally still think the biggest question mark is the offensive line because I said this in the preseason. As talented as their skill positions are, the best gift you can give a young or new starting quarterback is not a star receiver. It's a running game and protection. And they didn't have the kind of running game you would expect them to have against an Indiana this year or or this week. Are they starting two new tackles? They are starting two new tackles. Yeah. See, and, and, and listen, in college football, you get a lot of turnover. Okay. I understand that. And I appreciate that. The other top team in, in the big 10 in Michigan also replacing some people on the O line. But when you have to replace both tackles, that is a huge ask. When you have to replace both tackles and the number two overall pick quarterback in the NFL draft, that's monumentous to try and replace all of that. So Ohio State is going through something. And listen, I am not saying that they're not going to get this figured out. I am not saying that they're not a top 10 team in the country. Not what I am saying. They still have the capacity to be so for sure. They play Notre Dame in less than two weeks. That game kicks off in less than two weeks. You better get it figured out quick because Notre Dame has showed very early on in this season, they know how to play football. So you better be ready because that game's on the road at Notre Dame. So whatever you just had happen with Kyle McCord and his miscommunications and that old line not playing up to snuff, guess what? That's going to go away real quick, or that better go away real quick. So as an Ohio State fan, I'm worried, but I'm not pressing the panic button. Two things I want to touch on real quick. Number one, and I won't focus on them too much because this is not really what it's about. Indiana was running like an option offense in the first half, and it seemed to be a little bit effective. I'm wondering, would that style of offense work in the Big Ten because it's such like a big bruiser, like run heavy? Like Indiana's not going to beat anybody with their talent, but could they have some surprises along the way if they fully commit to that type of offense? My answer would be my answer would be no. It, it's just it it gets so repetitive, and you run that hurry up style option offense, which worked really well in the early 2010s. Uh, but no, not now, not with the speed and athleticism that exists in the Big Ten. No defenses will shut that down real quick. That's fair, uh, but it seemed to be working for a period of time. But I guess in the second half, that's when it all fell apart. But number two. And Ethan, you brought it up, and I'll be really quick with this. You said Marvin Harrison looked very disinterested. Let's say, and I'm not saying this either, like the wheels begin to fall off a little bit for Ohio State. They lose to Notre Dame, and then maybe they slip up in the conference one game before Michigan-Ohio State. Does Harrison just pack it in and say, I'm, I'm just going to get pre- prepared for the draft. I'm not going to get hurt. I'm not going to do anything. Does he go the, I guess, the small Smith and Jigba route? I know he was hurt and trying to come back from injury, but at what point for him is it not worth it? I think he would have to tweak something. I think he would have to, you know, have a soft tissue thing to even remotely consider that. And I obviously don't know the kid. He, you know, he's obviously a fiery competitor. He has to be to be any kind of D1 athlete at the level that he is. So I'm, 
I don't know. It'd be all speculation, but I would hope not. I love seeing him play. He's, he's an absolute monster. But regardless, we can all conclude that there are legitimate questions to be answered in Columbus going forward. Next game up. This game was electric despite the score. It got electric at the end of the game. It was our Thursday night special. Minnesota beats Nebraska in Matt Rule's debut 13-10 to in what was another one possession loss for Nebraska. A curse is the only explanation, ladies and gentlemen. You get rid of Scott Frost, who the whole reason you fired him was because he couldn't win close games. And then Nebraska has a seven-point lead with five minutes left and the ball. They turn it over twice in the last five minutes and get outscored 10-zip to lose by three. It's just the same script over and over with these guys. It was heartbreaking to to watch that. It was an electric game though. Uh what's his face? Oh, I'm 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 missing the receiver's name. Was it Daniel Jackson? Was he the guy from Minnesota who had the yeah, the Jordan pose, toe tap, stretching as far as he can to get that ball from out of bounds and score on fourth down to to score the touchdown to keep the game going. Insane catch by him. Incredible plays, but man, Nebraska's got to be heartbroken with that one. Uh, I mean, how many times can it happen, right? And, and I made the mistake of thinking, listen, Nebraska's changed. They're going to lose by more than one score in this game. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I took Minnesota to cover. How ignorant of me. Um, but no, I... I Honestly, I was very impressed with the way Nebraska's defense played in this game. I thought they played very well. Um, So if you're a Nebraska fan, listen, you covered a spread against a team that has higher aspirations than you do for the current season. Um, Man. And you should have won. I mean, you turned the ball over four times. Yeah, and including one very late in the game that allowed Minnesota to go down and score the game-winning score. So, and how many times has that happened? I mean, you look back at the Michigan game, you look back at so many different games where turnovers have been what have killed you late in the game. Um, You you just, you feel for Nebraska, but at the same time, my biggest takeaway from this game wasn't actually Nebraska. I I think Nebraska can work their way through this um we'll get into it in the next episode about you know what's going to happen in their in their next game but man oh man minnesota offensively looked kind of inept i I just go go ahead alex you look like you need to say something i do have something to say about that though and I'm not going to get up on a soapbox for Minnesota, but what I will say is Nebraska's defense that they're running this year is a 3-3-5, which, if you remember, is the exact same defense that TCU ran against Michigan, and that gave them fits last year in the college football playoff running the ball. Like, it's a weird defense to run. Everyone assumes 3-3-5, oh, it's soft, you know, small finesse schools play that defense. But I was talking to a buddy of mine who who played college football, and he was telling me, he played center. He was like, dude, 
playing against the three three five, it messes with your schemes. It messes with your, you know, how you're lining up, how the nose tackle might be lined up, lined up on the center. Like it just messes with your blocking schemes, and it can confuse it. I shouldn't say confuse a team, but it just it's so abnormal to what you normally face in a defensive front and a front seven that I think that we should probably take Minnesota's offensive for performance with a grain of salt. Do I think they're going to be electric and score a bunch of points every week? No, but I do not think we saw the version of Minnesota that we're going to see going forward because it's such a weird defense to run the ball against. I mean, still, they they just abandoned the run. They gave up on the run in the second half of this game. And, I, I mean, I don't care if it's giving you fits. You average two and a, 2.2 yards on the ground. Like you've got to be able to adjust. You have a you have a whole first half to try to figure this out. The game is close, so if anything, you should still be in a position to run the ball. And in the even the announce, even Gus Johnson was like, "Yep, they've given up on the run. They're not even they're not even faking like they're going to try to try to run this thing." And the fact that they won that was a miracle. And I mean, the catch was a miracle in itself. I thought Ethan uh, Kilimanjaro. I'm never going to pronounce his last name because it's just not fun. Um, I thought there were times where he, I was like, dang, this guy is sick, nasty. Like he's, he's like making the Stafford like sidearm type throws and just slinging the ball all over the place. And then I think they were driving. It was on one drive. Drove, I think like, I don't know, 70 yards down the field. And then an absolutely brutal interception inside the 20. And I was like, you can't make that play. And if this was a regular occurrence, Outside of the cursed Nebraska Cornhuskers, like that, that should have been a backbreaking game defining play, but it wasn't. Yeah, Ethan's definitely got the arm talent. You could see it throughout the game. He was also, they were missing their wide receiver one, Ottman Bell, too. That might have had something to do with it. So, but I think going forward, we got to see more from Minnesota's offense. We got to see Nebraska just cut down on these dumb mistakes and close a game. Find something positive throughout the season. Don't think about bowl games. Don't think about none of that. Find something positive. Find your groove. And also let Jeff Sims do his thing on the ground because he was basically your whole offense. The dude accounted for 205 yards by himself. Nebraska's total offensive yards were 295. He's their offense. He's their weapon. All right, let's go on to the next one. Next one was Iowa-Utah State. It's poetry. They need to average 25 points per game. They scored 24. After two, after back-to-back opening drive, or back-to-back drives to open the game, scoring touchdowns, they scored 24. Kate got off to a really hot start. It was a 36-yard touchdown pass on the first drive, and then he found his Michigan boy, Eric All, on uh, fourth and goal. Ethan, you were clued into this one. You were dialed in. What would you see from Iowa that – you can actually feel like you might be able to draw some conclusions about. The first two possessions for Iowa in this game, like you just alluded to, it was like, okay, yeah, this is why I picked Iowa to cover this spread. I I, I thought that this was going to be what was going to happen. It's Utah State. It's the easiest game on their schedule. Mm. And then Iowa showed up. And... Oh, boys, listen, when I tell you 
that it is terrifying to think that they can get a transfer in Cade McNamara. They can get a transfer in Eric All. And everything can stay the same because you still have Brian Ferentz as your offensive coordinator. It, it's it's terrifying. They looked lost offensively after those first. I understand. I understand they 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 scored more points. Those first two drives, the the second drive was a fourth down conversion, as Alex alluded to, when they scored the touchdown to Eric Hall, and it was like, oh my gosh, it's the two new players connecting to find each other. This is the easiest game on their schedule, and they didn't meet the quota, okay? You needed to get ahead of the eight ball in this game, not behind it or not even with it. You needed to drop 40 on Utah State to send a message and to start this off right. That didn't happen, and Cade McNamara got hurt. Nothing good in this game happened for Iowa. Your defense, yeah, they're still good. Okay, great. Did they look fantastic? No, they they didn't look fantastic in my opinion. They allowed they allowed some big rush plays. They allowed some they allowed some pass plays where they were playing a softer zone coverage. They probably weren't trying to show a ton. I get that, but oh my goodness, my attention immediately goes back to the offense, and I can't help but think that we are watching the last games of not the Brian Ferentz era, the Kirk Ferentz era at Iowa, because I I don't see a world where they have a lackluster season this year and they just fire their OC. It's going to be father, son, both gone. I mean, I don't know. Kirk was saying and giving praises to the Utah State punter before the game. He's like, he's pretty good. So maybe that could like go towards the offensive woes. Uh, that uh, Iowa was facing. I was pretty confident in this one that Utah State was going to cover because if we're just going off of the quota, what, it was a 25-point spread? That literally meant Utah State did not have – they could not score a point, and they scored two touchdowns. So simply just by mathematics alone and by, like, past statistics, this should have been everybody's lock. But – yeah, they've got to figure something out, and I, I don't think there's really anything else more to say, Ethan, than you get some pretty significant talent on the offensive side of the ball. You get a quarterback who's competent. You get a really like good quality tight end, and you're still at the same spot. It's got to be coaching. Corey, they just didn't – after those first two drives, it looked like they had planned out first two drives – and then, and then after that, it looked like Brian Ferentz was in La La Land calling plays. They looked lost. Their blocking scheme offensively, Cade is not a guy who's going to run around and make a bunch of plays. Their offensive line was getting thrashed. Their they offensive o- line looked bad. They only averaged about three yards a carry. I worry about the offensive line because Cade had this quad thing preseason and then he tweaked it in the game, and now you've got an offensive line that they only gave up one sack, but there were way more QB hits and pressures than the one sack. And like you said, Cade's not already a mobile guy, and then he tweaks a quad. I don't know. I don't know. I 
I still think they're a top two team in the West because it's the West. But you were expecting more from with with the addition of Cade McNamara. But I said it last week, and I'll keep saying it. Just because because you give a bad chef better ingredients, I don't know how much better the food gets. Next team that had a ton of turnover, especially a quarterback, but also head coach, OC, the Wisconsin Badgers. They come out against Buffalo. It's a bit of an inconsistent performance, some ups, some downs, but they end up they get the dub, thirty-eight to seventeen. Um, I watched this one pretty closely. I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and start the no huddle huddle. Wow, the no huddle offense from Phil Longo. That's gonna give some teams some issues when their running game gets going. And speaking of their running game, I know people were a little bit worried, like, oh, Phil Longo's coming in. He's going to abandon the run, and they're just going to sling the rock all over the place. Luke Fickle was not going to allow that to happen. Come on. And it was very evident. The ending stat lines for not just Braylon Allen, but also Ches Malusi. Allen had 141 rushing yards and two touchdowns, and Malusi had 157 yards and two touchdowns. Oh, and Braylon Allen was also their leading pass catcher with seven receptions. They are going to use the crap out of Braylon Allen and Malusi. Luke Fickle is a smart guy. He went to the college football playoff with Cincinnati for a reason. He can get the ball to the guys who he knows are going to win him football games. And Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi are those guys. Braylon Allen, to me, is the story of this game. Um, I think Wisconsin, it took a little bit of time for them to find that continuity, to find that cohesiveness in this game. Second half, they looked like they had it way more together. Braylon Allen is going to be the player to watch on this team. This guy can do it all. He is he is pretty incredible. He's, I, built, I, like, I, he's built like Derrick Henry and can catch the ball. Correct. Yeah, in, in his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield or to motion out into the slot, who in the world covers that guy? Nobody in college football. I'm sorry, you don't have the safeties and the linebackers that you have in the NFL. That's why players like Braylon Allen go absolutely ballistic. He's going to this season. Wisconsin, the best team in the West. Mark my words. They are going to win the West. This this team is this team is going to cause some problems. And I was so so happy to see the way that they ran the football. Just like you said, Alex, you made a great point. They stuck with it. This team is going to be a problem. You know, you say that uh, Allen was the story of the game, but he didn't even have the the biggest play of the game either. Like Malusi had the eighty nine yard touchdown run, which is horrifying if you are an opposing defense. Either one of these guys can just pop off for a huge play. Like, their stat lines were pretty much identical. And if not, and Malusi was better on average. He had uh, 12 yards of carry. Uh, it's really going to come down to, and I, I guess how much do you want to look into it, the two interceptions from Mordecai, uh, you, you, can't, you can't do that. You just can't. And if you are going to be that force in the West, you're going to have to have these guys clicking on. So, or at least just n- limit those mistakes. Because Buffalo was, ha- like Alex was saying in the beginning, Buffalo was hanging around in this game, maybe for a little bit too long. And then the wheels kind of fell off and you had your big guns, you know, do what they needed to do. Uh, Allen is a monster truck. Um, he looked like he was playing a different sport than Buffalo in the second half. I was scared and I wasn't on the field. 
So um, take that for what you will. So glad you brought up the interceptions. If Tanner Mordecai can take care of the ball, that's going to raise the ceiling for this Wisconsin team exponentially. Okay, let's go to the next one. Michigan takes care of business at home against East Carolina, 30-3, to winning by 27. I genuinely don't know how much to say about this game because everything looked how you would expect it to look. With a team that's returning this much production on both sides of the ball, they looked, I'm not going to say flawless because it wasn't flawless. They had like a goal-to-go situation where, you know, J.J. rushed the snap again, similar to what happened in the TCU-CFP semifinal game, and they fumbled it. But outside of that series, J.J. goes 26 for 30, throws for 280 and three touchdowns. At one point, completed 15 straight passes. Go ahead. And right there, and right there is exactly why I'm going to disagree with you about this was status quo. I think most people thought what Michigan was going to do in this game was going to come out, run the ball with their two two headed monster, and just grind away at ECU, win this game handily. No, they, they let JJ McCarthy go out there. This is his offense now. This is JJ's offense now, and you saw it in that game. And man, oh man, he had he had a lingering lower body issue all, uh, all of last year, which we didn't know about until the offseason, until like right before this season started. The way he was moving and the way he was rotating to get his body into throws, he was making some touch passes that were really, really spot on. And uh, he set a Michigan record for passing percentage for somebody who throw through over 25 passes in a game. Um, I think JJ came out and showed you that he is ready to lead this team. And even when the running game isn't at its peak, he can take over a game and throw the ball around the field if need be. So I, I disagree to that extent, just because I think that, Michigan went out and showed you a different side of themselves. So I'm not going to linger on it. It's, you know, whatever. But I was very impressed with what J.J. did. I don't know. I kind of miss John O'Corn. Said no one ever. Um, I. It was fun just to sit and watch a football game and not have to worry about anything. And just fun to see see my boys just take care of business. They're, if I'm going to be really nitpicky, I, I think – Blake Corum's cuts are as good as ever, if if not better. He made a move in this game, I think somewhere in the third quarter. That was just absolutely disgusting. Um, if I'm going to be nitpicky, and this could just be coming off of injury, he looked a little slow. Um, or just uh, maybe not 100% like just game-ready comfortable. That was just something that I noticed, and like just to keep an eye on. Um, and then early on, I think that was mostly just due to field positioning. Uh, they did not run the ball well. Um, East Carolina, uh, East Carolina had him bottled up, but then because JJ did JJ things, um, they were able to open that up again. And I think that's going to be the story this year when Michigan does not have to rely on the run. Uh, JJ will create some separation because you have to respect him as he's throwing the ball. Um, and that will open up your running lanes and then ultimately make Corum and Edwards look much better. Yeah. I think the only thing you come out of here. Uh, the only question you come out of here still being unanswered is no sacks for the day for Michigan. 
you need someone to emerge on that defensive line and be a pass rusher and pressure the quarterback. You need someone who can get there in a hurry and challenge the Drew Allers and the Talia Tagovailoas that you were going to play. Okay, so if there's anything to nitpick about this game, it is absolutely the lack of a pass rush. Uh, Harbaugh train formation. Loved it or hated it? <laughs> it was it. hilarious, but hated so it. cringy. Hated it. Hated it. Come on. It's a self-imposed... Uh, the, the free Harbaugh stuff. All that. It's a self-imposed... The NCAA didn't give you this penalty. You did. I, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Hated it. Next. Okay, you know, but no, I'm going to stick on this for like two seconds because... They're creating a self-imposed chip. And this is what we appreciated about Michigan State. Even when nobody was disrespecting them, they felt like they were disrespected. And then ultimately that helped them play better on the field. So if they got to create some sort of artificial chip to be like, oh, no one respects. If it makes you play better, I don't care. Like free Harbaugh, buy burgers for the whole stadium. Like that's do what you need to do. Win football games. If they did a free cheeseburger campaign, that would be that would be the worst. Like just most. I, I all right. Next, I can't even go down that road. Michigan State beat CMU thirty-one to seven. Noah Kim, I I feel like we were all under the impression that Kim and Hauser were each going to get snaps. This is Noah Kim's job. He got the snaps. He was 18 of 31, threw for 279 yards and two touchdowns. MSU's offensive line did take a little while to establish themselves, but once they got going, Nathan Carter, this transfer from UConn, he's taken over the starting spot from Jalen Berger, who was kind of the guy last year. Nathan Carter is lightning in a bottle, man. He is full speed as soon as he touches the ball. He had 18 carries, 113 yards, and a touchdown. Um, now, Michigan State did struggle at receiver. There were some drops, and I imagine they were watching Keon Coleman go for 120 and three touchdowns last night, just being like, dude, why? Why? You would have gotten every pass thrown to you. This was my this was my lock of the week, was MSU to cover this game. Covered easily. I told you that was going to happen. It didn't look great early in the first half. They took over in the second half and covered easily. Man, oh man, that is my biggest takeaway is the fact that if this team had Keon Coleman, they might be an issue. But um, Noah Kim really got his act together in that second half. I I think MSU is right on track to be what I think they're going to be, which is better than either of you think they're going to be. Okay, so that's what I was going to say, because I have a question for myself and Corey. I know what my answer is. Corey, watching this game, does your expectation for Michigan State change at all? I mean, probably not. I I, I think, Ethan, you'd mentioned that their schedule wasn't or wasn't that hard. I thought it was pretty difficult. Um, And if they don't figure out the issue with the drops moving forward, you can't afford drops like that to stay into those types of games that the Big Ten has to offer. Um, and I'm a hater, so I do not 
feel like I need to change anything about what I said or what I believe about Michigan State because of this game. Central Michigan. You guys are the worst. If you, and I know we watched the game, people listening, if you watch this game, Central Michigan does not have a quarterback who can throw the ball. He cannot throw the ball. I am not exaggerating when I when I say that. He had a QBR of 24.6. He could not throw the ball, and they were in a three-point game at halftime. And he did not have a QBR of 24.6 because of how elite the Michigan State secondary has become overnight. So you're in a three-point game with a Central Michigan team with a quarterback that can't throw. I... None of my expectations change. I still think they're going to be maybe a bowl team. I think they still end up at five wins at some point, but five or six is the ceiling. I don't see them getting over that. So I don't take anything away from this game that makes me think I need to raise my expectations for Michigan State this year. But Nathan Carter looks good. So there's that. The upset, boys. Corey, your spoiler makers got spoiled. They got rotten. They expired. Their curdled milk. Fresno came in to Ross Aid and beat them 39 to 35. This can't somebody, happen. Somebody on this podcast told you to bet that. It was Ethan. Okay? It was Ethan. The guy who always makes money, whose picks are always right. It was Ethan. Okay? Shocker. Move on. Next next point. Okay? God, beat a dead horse. Listen, listen, this was actually an electric game. I did sit down and watch this whole game. It was so much fun, just the back and forth. And I'm like feeling for all the Purdue fans because it's like, okay, I understand. I understand the pessimism when it comes to this. Purdue was down to their fourth center in this game. Yes. They were down to their fourth center in this game. Fresno State was a quality opponent. And Purdue was a wounded duck with as far as everything that they lost. But what an exciting game. I thought Card played great. Um, I thought Maccabi, for the, uh, the circumstances that were there uh, for the running game, played well as well. And then, of course, again, Purdue just, or Purdue always seems to find a random wide receiver that takes over the game. And for them, it was the same story uh, with Burks. He played in a fantastic game with only four receptions, two touchdowns, and 152 yards. So exciting game. There was a lot of things that went wrong for Purdue. You're down. I don't know what you're going to do when you're down to your fourth center. That's, that's pretty insurmountable to overcome. But here's the other thing. We were in this situation before last year. It's a little bit different because they lost to Penn State. This game, it's a little different because it was Penn State. I, hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. They lost to Syracuse. Okay, Syracuse wasn't anything special, right? The Big Ten West is still kind of wide open. This game does not matter for them. Purdue is not winning the West. Nobody Corey. thought. Ethan sits there and he's like, oh, I called this game. I called this game. I believed in that pick until the very last second. 
give me a reason not to. They're going to mess around. They're going to be the spoiler makers again. It's the same identity. They're going to beat somebody that they shouldn't in dramatic fashion, and they're going to be right in the mix until the very end. And if nobody just decides to win no. this thing, I don't care. I don't care no. what you have to think. That's that's. It was a fantastic game. Purdue's not going to a bowl game, so you can't win the West if you don't go to a bowl game. No, that's they're gonna they're gonna beat Virginia Tech next week. It's fine. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay. Can we just can we just move on because it's so ludicrous. I, I can't. <sighs> All right, we're we're moving on. We're moving on. This is contentious. It's getting heated. He hasn't Let's even said on. anything because he, he, he can't say anything because the Big Ten West is an I, absolute I crap. Fresno State. I picked Fresno State to win the game outright. And you said and you said Purdue was gonna cover. Yeah, I was wrong. What do you want what else do you want me to say? I was wrong. Well you want to say, Oh, you were so right. You were so right, Ethan. I can't believe how right you were. No, No, I was wrong. What do you want me to say? No, 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 no. That's not it doesn't have anything to do about that. It has to do with the fact that you just tried to make the point that they are still in it in the West. That that's offensive to the Big Ten as a, as a whole. And the it's Big offensive. Ten West is garbage, and it was garbage last year, and that's the result that we got. We got Purdue, a team that shouldn't have won, but still won because they did what they needed to do and hang around just enough. And in the grand scheme of things, a non-conference loss does not matter in the Big Ten West standings. It doesn't. We agree to disagree. To a team that almost got got, but didn't get got. Illinois kicks a walk-off field goal to beat Toledo after an ice water in his veins fourth down conversion from Luke Altmaier, who threw a hope and a prayer to convert. It was like a 33-yard pass or something that he converted on fourth and four to get them down in field goal range. I was wrong about Illinois. I put my faith in Brett Bielema to have the talent in the room to replace what left last year. This Illinois defense is not the same as it was last year. That secondary is not nearly as lethal. Their front seven is not nearly as athletic as it was. They've got a player here or there. like I forget his name, but they've got a star on the defensive line. They've got Isaiah Williams at receiver. But this is not going to be the Illinois team we saw last year. Surprise some people and be in a conference race. So, sorry to the Illinois fans. It's not happening this year. I was in that camp. I have uh, quickly exited that camp. Maryland. I'm not. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not off the bandwagon yet. They did come. They did win this game against Toledo. Man, it was just, uh, it does feel very hard to stay committed to Illinois in this situation. To find the bandwagon, though, because, like, I have them winning seven games. Like, I feel like that's... No, that's the bandwagon. It's hard to stay on that bandwagon. Yeah, I I feel like I'm not, like... I'm not off that bandwagon. I just feel like they can still win six or seven games as the ceiling, but they're not gonna... They're not gonna border on nine wins and be like, oh, can they compete in the West? You know, they're not gonna be that kind of team this year. Um, they'll go to a bowl game. They'll be they'll be good enough to get to a bowl game, but they're not going to be the team they were last year. They're just replacing too, too much. This was my lock. I'm so low on Illinois. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't, they didn't go to a bowl game. 
They got no dog in them watching that game. And literally the only reason that they won that game is because they threw up, as you said, Alex, a prayer. And it just happened to come down their way. Toledo played great. Illinois did not. And I, I believe listening into the Penn State telecast, like with West Virginia, they're talking about like, oh, like, like this is a big game for Penn State, circling on the calendar. Illinois is physical. No, Illinois was not. They got pushed around by a Mac school in prime time. I don't care. I, they're quality opponents, but still, you need to take care of business, and you can't. It's- Maryland crushed Towson. We already said it was the largest margin of victory, 38-6. to Quality of po- opponent is just blatantly obvious here. Maryland did exactly what they should. Talia was a star. He threw for 263 touchdowns, also ran in a touchdown, didn't turn the ball over. Roman Hemby had a touchdown, too. And Corey Deitches at receiver. Uh, Corey Deitches at receiver looks like he's their new number one. He had over 100 yards, six catches, and a touchdown. Now, we've talked about Maryland's toughness in the trenches in the past. They allowed 148 yards on the ground, and they didn't force a turnover. So maybe some questions on the defensive line, just defense overall, to not force a turnover and allow that many yards on the ground against the Towson team? There might be a question there, but it's hard to say this early in the season. Uh, The conclusion is Maryland took care of business and did what they did, or they should have done, against the Towson. We'll see if they do it against anyone else. And now, the crown jewel on the Big Ten football weekend the Sunday matchup that we all needed. Corey, would you like to do the honors? Rutgers football. Against? Northwestern. I couldn't have summed it up. I mean, we could just stop it right there. That was why the summary of the up, game. Why didn't you push up your fake glasses while you were saying that? This game, we were talking about this a little bit. This game said way more about Northwestern being super horrible than it did about Rutgers, like, elevating their game. Now, Rutgers played fine, but they weren't, like, they're not world beaters. Don't think that Rutgers is all of a sudden turned into this team that is going to surprise people. No, Northwestern football is legitimately this bad. So bad. They're starting quarterback through two interceptions. And I told you that Central Michigan's quarterback couldn't even throw the ball and had a 24 QBR. Northwestern's quarterback had a 14.3 QBR. And their leading rusher, get this, this is like crazy stat of the week. So Northwestern replaced their starting quarterback way late in this game, like in the fourth quarter. Their backup quarterback was their leading rusher in this game. He had four rushing attempts for 11 yards, and he was their leading rusher. It does not get worse than that. This this team won one game last year, and they got worse. They lost NFL talent, and they are still looking for that illustrious win on American soil, their first one since two years ago. This is the most hype I've been for Rutgers football since that one time they accidentally got to go to a bowl game because people had COVID, and I was so hyped for that. Congratulations, Rutgers. You won, you won a football game, a Big Ten football game on a Sunday. You've earned it. 
keep chopping or whatever the heck their thing is called. I don't know what Shiano's got going on over there. A lot of, a lot of meatball subs. I think all of us picked Rutgers to cover the spread in this game. It, like this, this was one of those games where it was like, it felt so easy that you felt uneasy about it because you're just like, um, Rutgers because Northwestern bad. And then it's like, Oh, but are they going to be, are they going to step up and play for this new coach and blah, blah, blah. You have to have players to do that. They don't have any, they're dog water. They are garbage. Northwestern, you're going to struggle to win a game this year. And I mean that. And we're going to talk about it in the next episode. I'll see you there. Yeah, those are the games for the week. So, still lots of questions to be answered for these elite teams. Does Michigan have a pass rush? Can Penn State get a star receiver? Is Ohio State's offensive line going to be good enough? The top of the Big Ten has yet to be settled. And there's still a ton of football to be played. So like we said at the beginning, make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to us. Follow us on Instagram and threads at B1GBanter. And then on Twitter or X, whatever you call it, at B1GBanterPod for all of our content besides the podcast. But make sure you turn, tune in and listen all season long, bringing you the best Big Ten football content there is. And we love it. And we love you. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.